0: i just reminded you that you can follow along by going to the Bible app. Uh, we have the Bible passage there, and we have the sermon notes that you can go through with us this morning. It's a joy to be here uh, with you. If you're visiting us for the first time, I'm glad you came this Sunday. This is a very special Sunday for the life of our church. I'm uh, Pastor Felipe. I'm the senior pastor of Crossbridge, and I've been with you now for 11 years. Have you you ever had a moment in your life that you were heading into a particular place and you forgot what you were doing there to begin with? (laughs) I have tons of those moments in my life, particularly sometimes my wife comes and says, hey, can you run to the store and get wipes? And I go to the store and, uh, you know, get my shopping cart for wipes, my shopping cart, and I go to the meat section, right? Go <laughs> to the meat section right away. Let me see how those ribeyes look. And, you know, I'm talking to the butcher, and I get my stuff, and then I go to the wine section. And I'm looking, you know, at the bottles, and I pick one or two, and, and then I go to other sections, and, and then I take everything to the register, and then I go home, and then i like, girl, check out this, this piece of steak that I found. Check out this wine. She's like, great, great, where are my wife's? Like, what? What? (laughs) You received a simple mission. (laughs) And so I have to, when I receive these uh, requests or orders, I go and I have to stop halfway and say, What am I here for to begin with? And then, unless I go and get what I'm supposed to get there. I don't get the other stuff. But when I don't do that, it's a disaster, right? Sometimes life feels that way, that you're in, on this journey and you forgot why you were there to begin with. A marriage feels that way. Parenting feels that way. Work work feels that way. You show up in the office and you're like, well, why am I here to begin with? What am I supposed to be doing here, right? Life feels that way. And what, what I like to do is on Anniversary Sundays at Crossbridge, I like to remind us of why we are here to begin with. What is our mission? Because it's, it's very common that you get distracted about the circumstances of life and of church life that surround you, and you begin to focus on things that distract you, and then all of a sudden you forget why you were there in the first place. And so I want to remind us of our mission as a church. And I, and I said on Hurricane Sunday, I call it Hurricane Sunday because uh, it was uh, two Sundays ago that we decided to have worship and one combined worship. And I um, brought to you our revisited, simplified mission statement as a church. And what we said is, in a simple nutshell, what our mission is as a church is to connect life, help people to connect life to the way of Jesus. That is our simple mission statement. And and here's why I want to bring it up again today because I want to make sure, number one, that this is a mission statement, not just for me, not just for the leadership of Crossbridge, but for all of you who are part of Crossbridge regardless of the campus that you're part of, whether it's Pinecrest or Key Biscayne or Brickell or Miami Springs or our church in Sao Paulo, I want this to be the mission statement for all of us. Now, I know in order for that to be the case, there's got to be clarity. And I want to make sure that today there's clarity surrounding this mission statement that should be not just for me and the leadership, but for all of us. Now, it's clear that you know what it means to connect life to the way of Jesus, right? You're you're trying to connect all of life, every single area of life to the way of Jesus. But I know that there may be some room for some confusion on what the way of Jesus means. In fact, after Hurricane Sunday, Uh, people came to me and they said, it sounds like awfully legalistic that we are to connect our lives to a particular path and a way of living. And I want to sort of deconstruct that for you today and uh, bring clarity to what the way of Jesus really is so that you can connect all of life, all areas of life, your finances, your relationships, your sexuality, your work, to the way of Jesus. In a nutshell, the way of Jesus is a life-altering message that shapes a people, sends them out on mission, and ignites a movement. Okay, let me say that again. The way of Jesus is a life-altering message that shapes a people that sends them out on mission and ignites a movement. Four elements to that statement. Number one, a message, a life altering message. Number two, a people that's being shaped by that life altering message. Number three, A people that's shaped by that life-altering message, and now they find purpose. They're sent out on mission, in a specific missional context. And lastly, when that happens, it ignites a movement. So let's look at all these four parts. Number one, the way of Jesus is a life-altering message. The passage that we read, we read out of Acts 19, we read verses 1 through 10, is a passage that records the birth of the church in Ephesus. Now, if you read the previous chapter towards the back end of chapter 18, you know how the work there began, how the preparations for that church plant took place. And that was through a man by the name of Apollos. The Bible talks about Apollos in the book of Acts of the Apostles as a powerful preacher who landed in the city of Ephesus And began to preach the way of Jesus there. Look, I'm gonna read it from uh, chapter 18, verses 24 and 25. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, so he was Egyptian, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of Jesus. That's a message. See, the way of Jesus is a message. In the way of Jesus, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. That's another detail that we're not going to get into. So he goes into the city of Ephesus, and he begins to teach the way of Jesus, which is the message of the gospel. A similar, uh, inexchangeable an exchangeable word for the gospel, the way of Jesus. He goes there and begins to do that in the context of the synagogues, which are the places where the scriptures were studied and Jews were there on the Sabbath day. Now, in chapter 19, Paul arrives at the city of Ephesus and Paul takes over the work that Apollos had started because... Aquila and Priscilla, a couple, in chapter 18. After we read those verses that I read to you, they pull Apollos aside and they say, "Hey, there's something off about your teaching. We still need to calibrate things a little bit more, right? We need to iron out the wrinkles in your understanding of the way of Jesus." So they pull him aside, and then Paul arrives in the city and he goes into the synagogue and he continues to teach the way of Jesus, which is the gospel to Jews, after there was resistance, the apostle Paul leaves the synagogue and he goes to the public places. He goes to the hall of Tyrannus. That's what we read verses eight through 10. The hall of Tyrannus was a public space in the city of Ephesus. In fact, if you were to go to Ephesus today, there are ruins there of the hall of Tyrannus. I went there three years ago with Beth and a couple of friends from Crossbridge And you can see where people stood on a weekly basis and they discussed the freshest and newest ideas of the times in that space. And Paul goes to that place and he begins to also proclaim the way of Jesus, which is the gospel. And all of a sudden, not only are Jews who are religious people, Getting the message of the way of Jesus, which is the gospel, but also irreligious pagan people are also intrigued and feel attracted by it. Verse 10, which was the last verse that we read, says this, this continued for two years after he went to the hall of Tyrannus, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, both religious and irreligious people. See, from the very get-go of Crossbridge, we had these meetings that were taking place at the living room of Jay and Tanya. Jay, who is here? I don't know where Tanya is, but Jay is for sure here. And and we, we, we met there. We met there for about seven, eight months, Jay. And we talked about what this church could look like. And we prayed about the vision that God was giving us. And one of the things that we said from the get-go, our first goal was that we were not just going to have a church for ourselves, but that we were going to have a church for our friends who do not yet believe in the way of Jesus or the gospel. Why? Because as we see here in this passage, not only do religious people need the gospel. See, there's this misunderstanding that religious people don't need the gospel. Religious people really need the gospel. Because religious people are working under the assumption that it's their performance that results in blessings and salvation. And the gospel says that's the complete opposite. You can't do that. You're going to die trying. Therefore, you have to depend on someone who has accomplished and performed perfectly. And you have to rest on his salvation alone. It's salvation by grace. Religious people need the gospel. That's what Paul, that's what Apollos were doing as this church was being planted in Ephesus first. But also the irreligious people need the gospel as well. See, both groups are trying to find salvation from Jesus. One is saying, I already know the right that I must do. Why do I need someone either to tell me or to do it for me? And then a religious person says, I don't have this understanding of what's right and that I have to live my life for God. I'm going to be my own master and Lord, right? They're both pushing away the need of a savior. And the gospel says you're not free. And the gospel says you're not performing adequately. Therefore, you need a savior to liberate you and also to give you the performance that you need in order to be accepted by God. So the gospel changes both. Us and the people that we bring. And so, since the very beginning of Crossbridge Church, we've been committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus every single Sunday. If you've been coming here, however many years you have been coming here, you know that when I hit that third point in the sermon, the gospel's coming out. It's coming out in some shape or form, but it's coming out. We have a commitment to that. For us, there's a commitment to discipleship in light of the gospel. And we've been seeing here in Crossbridge in these 11 years, in all of our campuses, people come to faith in Christ both from the religious, with a religious background, and also from an irreligious background. There are some of you that are here that you've been going to church, you were going to church your whole life, and then you came here and you heard the gospel, and your life was changed. We have elders here at Crossbridge that came from mainline churches, religious contexts, and they came to faith in Jesus when they heard the gospel. And we also have seen those who had an irreligious or led an irreligious life also come to faith in Christ. But you know what? We're not satisfied with that. We want to see more of that. We want to see more people both from a religious background and an irreligious background, coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, uh, on Hurricane Sunday, right, I, I cast out a challenge for you. Do you remember that challenge? Do you remember that challenge? Let me refresh your memory. Like, if you commit to this for this year, this will be key and we will see more of that. What was the challenge? Here it is, okay? It's called Focus One, the Focus One Challenge. It's one life focused for one year on one message. What's the one message? The gospel to make a difference in one city through the life of one person. The city only gets changed one life at a time. If this year you would commit, embarking in this journey with us and saying, God, give me one person, Give me one person that I can pray for, that I can invest my time, my talents, and my resources in so that they would come to faith in Jesus. And out of that, not only see their lives being changed, but a result of a movement of the gospel where lives are constantly being changed in our midst. Will you take on that challenge? Because... The way of Jesus is a life-altering message, but it's a life-altering message that shapes a people. You know, one of the things that we read about the Apostle Paul, who is the church planter of the church in Ephesus, is that in chapter nine of Acts, we're in chapter 19, if you backtrack 10 chapters, chapter nine, verses one through two, the Apostle Paul, before becoming a Christian, before coming to faith in Christ, We learned that the apostle Paul actually was called Saul. God actually changed his name, but his name was Saul, and he was a persecutor of Christians. He was a zealous Jew of the party of the Pharisees, and he went from town to town arresting those who had claimed faith and believed in Jesus Christ. And in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9, we read that Paul was persecuting the people of the way, quote, unquote. That's what we read there in verses one and two. Those who are known to be of the way. So the way also, when you read the book of Acts of the Apostles, is also given to the people of Jesus, not only to the message of Jesus, which is the gospel, but also to the people of Jesus. Now, now if you put that into perspective, you see what that means. You're connecting all of life, helping people to connect all life to the way of Jesus. You're connecting them to the message. You're connecting them to the community as well. And, you know, as you, as you begin to, to, to read the, the book of Acts of the Apostles, as it shows us the people that was being shaped by the gospel of Jesus. For instance, in chapter 2, you backtrack a few more chapters, seven chapters You backtrack from chapter 9. You see how they lived. They were were the strangest thing that the world had ever seen. You know, uh, because the races in the world of their days were at each other's throat. The genders were at each other's throat. The classes were at each other's throat out there. But in the church, once you came into the church, the genders got along almost always. Not always, but almost always. The races got along. The social classes got along. They were meeting each other's need and they were meeting the physical and spiritual and social needs of those who are not even part of their church community. And not only were they the strangest things, I've never seen anything like this people were saying, but they were the most compelling, the most attractive people to be with because of the way in which they lived their lives. They lived counterculturally, but they lived beautifully and they impacted the world of their days. See, the reason why Christianity won the world, it was not because they had great preachers. It was not because they had great programs. Oh, we have great youth programs, and great kids programs. For the Roman Empire, it was not because of that. It was because of the way in which they lived. It was so compelling. They lived the way of Jesus. And therefore, our second goal from our very beginning was uh, not only to be a place where people can find belief, but also belong. You know, we live in a city. I've said that many times. We live in a city and we live in a season of history where people feel extremely lonely and the gospel listen the gospel offers hope for community in a community that is the hope of the world think about this this is huge if you have this if you if you get this it's huge do you know that god's strategy for saving and redeeming the world is you that's big Many times we don't own that. Many times we forget that. Many times we undermine that. The church is imperfect. Augustine says the church is a whore, but she's my mother. Right? We're imperfect people. We're messed up. We make mistakes. If you read history, the church has made mistakes in the past, continues to make mistakes, but the church is still God's main strategy for renewal. We are the hope of the world. And so here's what I ask you to do. You consider, okay? Consider doing life with us. Don't do life alone. Refuse that. Consider doing life together. We have community groups. There are many avenues where you can do life with us. If you just come on Sundays, that's good, but it's not as good as if you are plugged into the life of our community. And not just going to community groups, but community groups are a a platform. They're a launching pad for real life-on-life relationships. They're not an end in itself. They're a means to an end. So commit to pursuing that type of life, life life-on-life with others here. That's what ultimately brings hope to the world. Jesus says that that would be our ultimate apologetic tool to the world, that he has in fact come is by the way in which we love one another, but also commit to inviting others in as well, because it's good, right? Once you get plugged in and you begin to do life on life with each other, now it's good, and it becomes very comfortable, and here's the danger of so many churches, and I don't want this to be our case here at Crossbridge. Let me tell you something. If you're visiting us your for the first time, our people are really cool, all right? This this is a good group of people. And they love one another. They really do. And and if if you commit to doing life with them, you'll love it. But here's the danger. It's you're like, oh, I'm going to keep that to myself. It's so comfortable. And you you lose your missional mindset. And you forget that others actually need it as well. All right? And that you must invite others in. Okay? Because... The way of Jesus is a life altering message that shapes the people and sends them out on mission. So the apostle Paul comes to faith in Christ and he's immediately sent out by Jesus to minister to the Gentiles. And then all of a sudden you begin to read about Paul after chapter 11 and, 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 and the other apostles you see something that's very interesting. They're going to the main and the most influential Greco-Roman cities to preach the gospel, to proclaim the way of Jesus, and to plant new churches. In fact, I don't know if you noticed this when you when you were reading verse 1, go back to verse 1. We read this, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, so Apollos was no longer in Ephesus. He'd gone to Corinth. Look, Paul passed through the inland country. He's almost ignoring the small towns. There are a lot of small towns, but he's not sticking and not staying in any small town. He is passing passing through the inlands. It's not only something that you see in Paul, but the other apostles as well. And he comes to Ephesus. That's what we read right there in verse 1. When you read the ministry of the first Christians in the book of Acts of the Apostles, it's mainly done in the context of large, influential urban areas. And you look at that, and you're like, huh, that's interesting. Why is that? I heard one time a speaker says, it's because God loves the city more than the countryside. And, you know, people laughed and he said this, what does God love more, plants or people? Are there more people in the city than in the countryside? Yes, therefore God should love cities more than the countryside. And I know that may be offensive to some of you that may have come from Nazareth, okay? (laughs) However, there's a point there that in the Bible... Cities play a strategic role when it comes to missions and ministry. There is a special place in God's plan of advancement that involves the cities. If you read the Bible, there is a movement of God towards cities. Have you noticed that the Bible starts in a garden but it ends in a city? Have you noticed that? How does the Bible start? It starts with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden with a bunch of animals and a bunch of plants, but it ends in a city, the new Jerusalem of God coming down from heaven and permeating this earth. The Bible starts in a garden, but it ends in a city. There's a movement of God towards cities, and you can see this nowadays practically. Do you know that in 10 years maybe even less some sociologists say that 80% of the world's population is going to be living in cities see you see that play in now in history and cities are strategic places for the gospel because it's in cities that culture is formed and when culture is formed in some of these large urban areas it trickles out to its region of influence Cities are very strategic for the gospel. We live in a very strategic city. Our city, I believe, not only plays a big role in influencing the future of America, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that, but it is. We're leading culturally and many ways, but also it influences a whole region, a region of Latin America. You know, some of the, you know, multinational corporations that oversee Latin America and even Europe, they have their headquarters here in Miami. What is done here affects not just the city, but a whole region. So from the very beginning, our third goal as a church was not just to build a great church, but to help Miami become a better city. To help Miami look more like the heavenly city of God that one day is coming down to heaven from heaven to permeate this earth. There was an early commitment to the city. And I want to renew those vows and those commitments today. We are committed to the city. Now you're, you're asking, what role do I play in that, Pastor? How can, I, how can I make that my commitment? And here's how you can make that commitment, okay? Very simple. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say and state it in the form of a question, a rhetorical question, okay? Imagine, could you imagine what this city would look like if all of us committed to living that mission statement together? If we said to ourselves, I'm going to commit to this mission statement, and I'm going to connect all areas, number one, of my life to the way of Jesus... I'm going to let the gospel shape the way in which I spend my money. I'm going to let the gospel shape the way in which I treat my neighbors. I'm going to let the gospel shape the way in which I go about my vocational work. I'm going to let the gospel shape the way in which I treat those who are in the margins of the city. The immigrants, the widows, the poor, the orphans, the marginalized. I'm going to let the gospel, I'm not going to be shaped by sociological ideas or books. I'm going to be shaped by the gospel. Now think about this. If you may- that commitment, and if we all make that commitment to living out that mission statement together, and we're connecting all of life, and we're connecting people to the way of Jesus, we're connecting our lives to the way of Jesus, allowing it to speak into all areas of our lives, we're connecting every life around us to this way of Jesus, what will we have here in Miami? We will have a nicer city for sure, traffic will be better on Week mornings because people are not going to be so mean because the gospel is shaping the way in which they tra- treat other people who are made in the image of God, okay? First of all, that's what you would see. There would be an increase, a boost in volunteerism here in our city. That's what you would see because the gospel says you got to spend your life for the sake of others, just like Christ gave his life for you, right? you will you will see an abundance of resources coming up right so that churches are planted the needs of the poor are met you will see an abundance of resources because people are saying god has given me all these resources not to spend on myself but to invest in this mission of the kingdom there will be more forgiveness cities would be safer If you make that commitment, I'm going to connect all areas of my life to the way of Jesus, and I'm going to make a commitment to connecting others to this way of Jesus, we will have a different city. Will you commit to that today? Will you embody this mission statement? If it stays just with me and the pastors and the leaders of the church, it's beautiful, but it's not going to go anywhere. It's something that will only have power and impact if we commit to doing this together because the way of Jesus is a life-altering message that shapes the people, that sends them out on mission and ignites a movement. You know, what's beautiful about the church in Ephesus is that the church in Ephesus did not only become a great church but they were catalytic to a movement of the gospel in all of Asia Minor. When you read the New Testament and all the letters that are written to churches in the New Testament, I have a map here of Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. See Ephesus, you have Jesus speaking to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Hierapolis, Laodicea. Paul later on writes the church in Colossae. Jesus speaks to Smyrna. There's the church of Galatia that's missing there as well, where you have the book of Galatians. Ephesus had become a strategic city for the planting of all these churches and igniting the movement of the gospel in that region. It became a place where people went to be trained and to be equipped and to be sent out. All these churches were planted out of the church of Ephesus. And that's what verse 10 is all about. All of Asia knew the gospel because the work of the gospel, the way of Jesus was permeating life in Ephesus. It bore an impact, a tremendous impact on the world of those days, that church. Now they were not a perfect church. Jesus later on has to say, hey, but don't forget, you're doing great in terms of strategy and ministry. Don't forget your first love. And we're not claiming here to be a perfect church or to always be a a great church. We're going to have flaws, but we're going to stick to our mission because we want to see that movement of the gospel go forth in our city. And therefore, our fourth goal, going back 11 years when we were meeting, was not just to be one church. It was not just about Pinecrest, but it was about a movement of the gospel. We said we want to be an Ephesus-like church in Miami, That's in my job description, by the way. That's a third of my job is to be catalytic to that movement. I remember Terry Geiger, the pastor who invited me from Redeemer in New York at the time. I was in Brazil with my wife. We were planting a church. We were having a good time. We were with our family in Brazil. And he said, hey, I want to challenge you to move to Miami and take over this dying church. I said, I have a live church, a live church going on here. No, I want you to go and take a dead church and replant that church. And I said, are there any manuals on how to do that? He says, you're gonna be the guinea pig. And we're gonna learn from you. And uh, for a year, Beth and I, we came and took several trips and we were discerning whether God really wanted us here or not. And then Terry came to me when we were certain of the decision that we were in fact moving to Miami. And he says, hey, and I'm gonna tell you something. God is going to bless this work. He prophetically spoke into my life and to this church's life. He said, God is going to bless this work. He will bless this work. But don't forget that there's a whole city here that needs to be reached from the, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, don't just look at Emmanuel, but look at other opportunities. Use Emmanuel as a resource for a movement of the gospel in Miami. And that's what we've done so far. I've been following my mentor's vision and steps. And that's why we have Crossbridge Brickell and Crossbridge Key Biscayne and Crossbridge Miami Springs. And now we have gone out of our county's boundaries and we're going into South America and Latin America. You don't know this. Did you know that you helped to plant a church in Sao Paulo last year? There are three more coming this year. We will soon plant our Chinese ministry into a church for Chinese immigrants here in Miami. Okay? Do you know that, that during the summer, we had 25 pastors from Haiti, from the DR and uh, from Puerto Rico and Brazil that came here spent 2 weeks here at Crossbridge being trained with through our partnership with city to city going back and planting churches and gospel movements in their cities in the Caribbean and South America do you know that through our partnership with city to city since it has started 3 years ago four new churches have been planted here in Miami they're not Crossbridge churches There are other churches that you help to plant indirectly. Now, listen, listen to me. This commitment is not easy. Why? Because again, we tend to look and say, oh, this is comfortable. I think about myself. You know, where where are we losing? Why are we giving so much money away? Why is Pastor Felipe giving time outside of our Pinecrest campus? Because that is our mission. That is my mission. That is your mission if you're here with us. It has to go this way. You know why? Because it takes more than one church to renew the city. It takes more than crossbridge churches to renew the city. So from these early days, we made that commitment that we were not only going to start more crossbridge churches, but churches of all kinds in the city of Miami. Because that's the only way that the city gets transformed. That's the only way that the city gets renewed. And it's costly And it's painful. You have to sacrifice. But there is no other way. If our vision is our city, there is no other way. You know, Peter Wagner, who is a missiologist, he said this, that planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology methodology known under the heavens. And you know why he's saying that? Because you can take your money as a church and give half of it away to social nonprofits, and that would be a good work. But what if you were starting churches with that mentality to serve and to minister to the city? Then you're multiplying that work, there's no other, there's no other strategy that mobilizes more volunteers and releases more resources than new churches. So that's why it's so essential for us to be invested in that as we move into the future because we're seeking the full renewal of our city. We want more volunteers. We want more people on mission. We want more resources. It's not going to come unless you have more churches. And you know what? We're living a crucial time in America. There are two types of Christians that I come across nowadays. Those who are concerned with the moral values of where this country is going. They're concerned. They talk about social media a lot. You know, look at the moral values. And others are concerned about the needs of the marginalized that are not being met. And they're saying, who cares if we have all these moral values, but if the needs of the marginalized are not met, what does that matter? And you know what, the gospel cares for both. The gospel cares for the moral values of society, but the gospel also cares for the needs of the oppressed. You see? And there's only one way to create a unique community that's being countercultural, and is caring for the both, is by starting and planting new churches, okay? Now, you know what the scenario is in America today? Guess how many churches are planted in America every year? There are 4,000 churches planted in America every year. How many churches die each year? Do you know that? There are 3,700 churches that die each year. So 4,000 planted. Now, I'm going across all denominations here, okay? Okay? 4,000 planted each year, 3,700 close their doors each year. You have a net positive of 300. You can't even keep up with the populational growth with a net of 300. If you are to increase the population of Christians, gospel-believing Christians in America, you would have to have a net of 8,000, okay? Now think about that. What are we doing if we're not investing in more of that? We have to. That's the moment that God has placed us in. Look, this is how morals get changed. This is how the needs of people get met because the gospel is a life altering message that shapes a people, sends them out on mission, and ignites a movement. Happy 11th anniversary, Crossbridge Church. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for the vision that you have given us. It's easy for us to go about it and forget it. We want to renew our vows today to that vision. Father, if we, if we had gone into the grocery store of Miami and we have been distracted by the things that we're there to do and to get in the first place, remind us why we are there in the first place, why we're here in the first place. Remember Uh, remind us of our story. May we remember uh, the great cost and the sacrifice that some had to make in order for this church to become a reality. Connect that to our understanding of the gospel, of how Jesus sacrificed and he gave his life for the church today. May this transform us. May this refresh us. May this ignite us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless your church.